speaking, it was done. Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to them, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the, then he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Sin. Yes, sin. It is a bit more problematic than we like to believe. It wouldn't be a big problem. Sin would not be a big problem if there was not such a thing such as consequences to sin. In other words, sin would not be a big deal if we could just sin and have no strings attached. However, sin yields a wage. It does. The Apostle Paul tells us in the epistle of Romans that the wages, the wages of sin, well, it's death. In other words, sin has a pale. Sin has a wage. It has a punishment. And that punishment, that wage, that payout is death itself. Now, obviously, Paul is speaking about sin before God. What about sin, indeed, about sin before other people and entities and other entities themselves? Thankfully, when we sin in the left-hand kingdom, the realm of the state, we don't automatically get the death penalty. Can you imagine, my friends, getting in your vehicle and getting picked up for speeding and then being faced with an electric chair? Can you imagine failing to return a library book on time and then being dragged onto the street and shot? Obviously, for the majority of the sins that we commit in the realm of the state, that left-hand kingdom, the wage is not death but something else, such as a fine, community service, or probation. But the point still remains, in the left-hand kingdom itself, the kingdom of the state, there are wages for sin. There are consequences for sin. There are punishments for sin. In extreme cases, there may even be death itself. But more often than not, it's some lesser form of punishment, punishment for sin. Within the realm of the family, too, there are wages for sin as well. When a youth goes out to a party and misses a curfew, the wages of that sin, as much as the parents may want that to be death, the death of a teenager, well, it's possibly grounding for two weeks. When a husband goes out and selfishly buys a $1,200 rifle, or that wife goes out and gets that $400 pedicure, manicure, and facial to boot, that package, well, the wages of that selfish sin is not death. As much as the spouse may want, 
but a sure and certain fight with a, indeed, big credit card payment to boot. Again, the point is that's being made is that you and I cannot sin without there being a wage for sin. Sin has a payout. It has a punishment. That is how it works. Even when we say that we did not sin, sin well, still has a wage. Even if pretending like we're all as well, that we have not sinned, well, where there's sin, there's a payout. Indeed, sin has a profound wage. Sin, it condemns us before God. It entangles us with others, and it makes us blind. It excites wrath. It excites displeasure. It does not give us any resources that change our condition. Sin itself, it binds our conscience. It brings a burden upon us. While those around us, they become a tyrant or a jailer to us. You see, when we sin, those around us, yes, those around us, they have a way of constantly bringing that sin to our minds and keeping us under their thumbs with our heads low. And so, my friends, a great majority of our time in this life, a great deal of time in our life is spent trying to overcome the wages of sin. We run from our past sin. We try to justify ourselves before others with our current sin. When we fight against people around us, we try to get them to not remember our sin or hold us responsible for our sin. Frankly stated, it is one big mess. It's enough to bring our hearts to despair. But that is where Jesus comes into the picture. Consider our reading this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, he looked to that paralytic man that had just been brought before him, and he said these words, mark these words, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And just like that, the paralytic man's sins were forgiven. But it can't be that easy, though, can it, Pastor? Can it be that easy? Isn't there always a consequence to sin? Isn't there a wage for sin, as Paul says? Isn't there a wage for sin indeed? Well, to drive the point home a bit more, Jesus tells the very same man these words. He says to that man whose sins were just forgiven, stand up, take your bed, and go, go to your home. Stand up, rise, take your bed, and go to your home. And just like that, the paralytic man, he stood up, and he went home. So much for a consequence, so much for an ongoing wage for sin, that man was not only forgiven of his sins right there and right in that spot, but his handicapped status, which I might add that many people thought was attributed to his sins or the sins of his parents, well, it was gone too. Can you imagine the freedom? Can you imagine the freedom that this man felt in his body and soul being completely and totally liberated, free, so what's the point? The point is that this forgiveness in Jesus, it liberates you and me from the wages of sin. When Jesus forgives you of your sins, dear saints, all the jailers, all the tyrants who stand to accuse you, they're replaced by Jesus. And with Jesus' nailed mark hands, there's no accusation. There's no accusation, but the holy words, holy words of this take heart. Dear child, your sins are forgiven. And so when you are forgiven in Jesus, you are made free. You're restored to the Father's favor, favor and grace. But then again, what about those wages of sin? 
Baptized saints, mark this, in Christ's kingdom, there are no wages for sin, for Christ has freed you from the consequences of sin through his death and his resurrection, full stop, period, it is finished, done. If there were further wages for sin, then Christ, well, he died for nothing. If there were further consequences or punishments for sin, then Christ's death and resurrection, while they were incomplete. Think of it this way for a moment. The word forgiveness itself, that word forgiveness, a very simple word, it means this. It means to let go. Yes, the word forgiveness means to let go. It means to send away. It means to divorce, to lay aside. And so when Christ forgives sins, you are, get this, divorced from sin and its consequences. Sin is loosened from you and is laid aside from you because it's laid on Christ. And so the forgiveness of Jesus, it frees you. Indeed, it frees you. It defines you as a forgiven child. Even if you feel guilt, get this, even if you feel guilt, even if you feel shame, they do not define you. Because Jesus' word of forgiveness is what defines you. Even if your co-workers, your neighbors, or your family, even if they accuse you, even if they label you, they curse you, they do not define you. Jesus' word of forgiveness is what defines you. Even if your own physical defects, your ailments, your sickness make you feel like you are under a curse, well, they do not define you. Jesus' word of forgiveness is what defines you. Bluntly stated, forgiveness, it actually frees you and me. The world, the devil and your sinful nature, the world and the devil and the sinful nature, they no longer determine your thoughts. Forgiveness bans that condemnation of the world. Forgiveness bans that condemnation of the devil and your own sinful thoughts. Forgiveness bans, indeed, the condemnation, the brooding, the revenge of this world. Jesus' word of forgiveness is what defines you. Take heart, dear son and daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Now, it must be said that according to the kingdom of God, you are forgiven. However, in the workplace, in the civil society, the world, though, yes, the world, does not always understand and practice this forgiveness. In fact, the world often outright abuses this forgiveness. The world does the exact opposite of forgiveness It demands large payments for the wages of sin. It punishes, it accuses, it condemns, and it demands a wage for a sin itself. Nevertheless, that does not change who you are before God Almighty. Practically speaking, when your sins demand a wage before the government, well, you and I can provide compensation for the wrongs that we have done because we have nothing to prove, nothing to hide. When you sin against your neighbors and they stomp their feet, demanding consequences and compensation for the wrongs that you have done, well, you and I can use our time and our resources to remedy what we broke as quickly as possible without having to fear, without having to fear their wrath and temper tantrums because we are forgiven in Christ. You see, that is how it works. When we are forgiven in Christ, we are defined by his forgiveness in the kingdom of God. And then we do not have to forget and ignore or deny the wrongs that we have done in this life. We can actually take them seriously. We can acknowledge them for what they are, for the wrong that we've done. And then we can seek to restore 
all that we have broken, while knowing that our sins do not define us, they do not shape us, they do not shape our relationship and status in this, in this life. In the words of a theologian, we actually climb over the rocks of sin to return to a godly relationship with others that reflects the peace and the order of the Garden of Eden in the midst of this fallen world. Now, once we have repaired what we have damaged, we know, yeah, we know that these relationships are ultimately repaired, not through the expenditure of our own resources and time and acts of love, but ultimately through that gift of forgiveness for one another. And so as forgiven people, we seek forgiveness from others while forgiving them, for only forgiveness heals broken relationships and failed opportunities. When we forgive others, we lay our vulnerability and weakness onto God's lap, leaving their sin under the authority and the power of God who makes all things new. Baptized saints, Take heart. Take heart this morning. You are forgiven in Christ, not because you feel forgiven, but because Jesus says that you are. That is your identity. You are liberated from the wages of sin through Christ. And so live in this freedom of forgiveness. You are not trapped in the deeply dug soil of sin. You are not trapped in the tit-for-tat quicksand of vengeance. You are not condemned. You are not confined to silly blame games. You are not glued to the consequences of sin, but you are glued to Christ and his forgiveness and his life and salvation, which are all for you as a sheer gift. Rest in what you've been given. Know that whatever this life may bring, it cannot change the history and the reality of the forgiveness of Christ that you have in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Take heart, dear son and daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Rise. Go forth your way in mighty faith in the one who has forgiven you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormattrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The, the Lord, Lord bless and keep you. you.